Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Bible Discoveries, the weekend show. Merry Christmas. It's almost Christmas, so just a preemptive Merry Christmas out there to you. On this show, if this is your first time here, you know, on Bible Discovery, the main show, the daily show, we're going through the Bible this year. So we are right on the brink of finishing the Bible in 2023. But on this show, the weekend program, Matlock and I take a little bit of extra time and we delve into topics, big topics that we're not able to handle on the daily show. We also like to interact with your comments and questions as well. So Matlock, why don't you let everyone know where what we were supposed to have read in the scriptures this week? Yeah, well, you were supposed <laughs> to read 1 Peter 4 to Revelation 7. I hope you did. You're very festive right now. You got to be festive. To state the obvious. All, uh, so... I'm festive because our big question, right? I'm going to tell the other question. Our big question. <laughs> it's the cares? only one that matters the right now. The only one that matters right now is, is Christmas a pagan holiday? That's we should have good. busted out some eggnog is what we should have done. Yeah, that's a Did lot of things we should have done. There's, I just there's have no some decorations. It's, it's, this I is know. the closest thing. Anyways. You are our decoration, Matlock. Right. <laughs> I know. Okay, should we just right. should we just jump I think into we're just the question? Yes. Please Corey, let's let do us it. Let's open to the first question. Yeah, it pertains to Second Peter three. Okay. Okay. Many atheists today mock the global flood. Mm -hmm. Does that mean we are living in the end times? This sounds like a viewer question, but it's a Bible question. Right. It's a bold question. I'm just I'm jumping right. over to Second Peter three. Yes. Uh, so that we have some context for this, because why would this be a Bible question here? Um, and that is because of the context of Second Peter, Peter 3. Uh, many atheists today mock the global, global flood. Does that mean we are living in the end times? Okay, so let's read First Peter 3, verses uh, 1 to 7. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of, re of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by the means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So there's three things here that Peter is saying people will deny. And these three things are cornerstones of the Old Testament prophets. So, and, and even of Jesus's teaching. So um, Peter is saying, look back to the fathers, right? Like look back to the, to, to the Old Testament prophets and also look to the word of Christ. And so the, the three things that he says people are going to deny is that, um, um, that the heavens and earth were created uh, by God, that uh, <coughs> God judged the world through a flood, and that also the heavens and earth are going to be judged by fire in the future. Now, <clears throat> does this mean we are living in the end times because many atheists today mock the global flood? 
we've been living, I would say biblically, we've been living in the end times since Pentecost. So like since Acts, we, we, we you can go back and look at Acts uh, chapter two and see, you know, Peter uh, quote the prophet Joel saying in the last days. So we're in this final time period. So people have been saying stuff like this since then. And um, it's this overall denial of the truth of scripture that we're pointing to. So we don't even have to look at atheists today. We can just look at, even unfortunately, some people who would still call themselves Christians reject a lot that the Old Testament is true or that a lot the bulk of the Old Testament is true at all, even rejecting the prophets themselves. So um, I, I don't think that just because atheists exist, exist that deny that the flood happened, that that means we're living in the last days. Although I do think we're living in the last days and these are the kinds of things that we expect in the last days, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect but like, sense. Because yeah. there's, there's going to be scoffers just all throughout. In Peter's day, you know, clearly if you read First and Second Peter, there were scoffers and false teachers in Peter's day as there still is now. But remember, it was Peter's speech, his own speech in Acts, where he quotes from Joel saying that it's the last days. Yes. I, I think yeah. even in church history, I don't have any specific examples in mind, but there are people who mock the flood throughout history. Yeah. Now, it has become much more intensified and robust and greater in number of people mocking the flood. That is true. It's because of what science is, you know, just because of modern science. Having said that, um, throughout all of history, it has there has been people who have mocked one thing about, scoffed about one thing in the Bible or another. Right. Um, either way, I agree with you. I don't think it necessarily means that the end times is this immediate moment now. Though mm -hmm. you can look at other things. It's really about not just one thing indicates the end of time, I think is my point. There are several other multifaceted issues that are all coming together, coalescing at once. So it's not just the fact that they're mocking the global flood. There's other factors you have to take into as well. There. Yeah, and I think the, uh, a huge warning that we can take from Second yeah. Peter chapter 3 is to not become callous. You know, in our waiting for Christ right. to return, to not become arrogant and prideful and callous, and and because of our um, some of our lived experience in waiting for Christ, that we then have to just be like, well, well, yeah, it, it, everything's the same, so it yeah. clearly never happened. Or I agree. and and we do, unfortunately, you do see that that kind of attitude represented, um, you know, almost word for word what Peter yeah. talks about. But yeah, I don't think that's unique to today, like you were saying. It, yeah. it, it goes back a while. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. All right. Okay, Matlock, what exact... Wait, yes, this is... I paused because I was like, am I asking that right. question right now? Okay. Veronica asks this question, Matlock, what exactly is worshiping God in spirit and truth? Right. I see this is a reference to First and Third John, but technically mm -hmm. it's a reference to John 4. So I'm going to read John 4. Sure. And then hopefully answer with just another question. As in Gospel of John 4? Gospel of John 4. Mm -hmm. I think Not to that, be confusing. Now, to be fair, I think the answer to that question is in First and Third John. You can answer it robustly because he gets sure. the detail, but that's what John's all about. But let's just talk about another book that John wrote earlier, his first gospel, or his only gospel, um, that he wrote first. All right, so I'm going to go to John 4, verses 20 to 24. This is when he's dealing with the woman from Samaria, and she recognizes that he's a prophet. And she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. That line, he's simply saying that your version is wrong. Your understanding of worship is wrong. But salvation is from the Jews. It is, but the hour is coming. It is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, first things first, worshiping in spirit and truth, wh- like, wh- what's the deposit that we have as Christians? The Holy Spirit. So you worship in spirit, the Holy Spirit, but you also worship in our spirit, not just the Holy Spirit. You also worship in our spirit and uh, uh, humbling ourselves towards God. So there's two things happening here. One, we know that this world's going to be destroyed and God's going to, you know, uh, resurrect us, resurrect our bodies and uh, at the end of times. So I'm not saying that there's a division there. What I am saying is that to worship in spirit and in truth means to worship God the Father. What does Christ say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're worshiping God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, who is the truth and who is the spirit, right? Because it says there, God is spirit. So you're worshiping God. It doesn't matter where you do it. So in this passage specifically, they're talking about, oh, worshiping on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He goes, it doesn't matter. These things won't, these things are going to go away. Everyone's going to worship God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Um, and so that's the point that's being made there. So it's not about a location. Oh, you can only worship God here in Jerusalem. Oh, you can only worship God here. It's like, no, the whole world is God's and, you're, and everyone's going to worship God. So that's the basic point. But to add more to this understanding, let's go to James 1, verse 27. Um, you often heard this line, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Now, that word religion there actually means worship. So he's talking about religious worship, the religious worship that is true. So if you see religious worship that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now that's very broad. What does it mean to keep one unstained? It means not to live in sin. Not to perpetually go down a rabbit hole of sin or to keep, to keep yourself away from all things that can lead to temptation. What's the Our Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. So we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right there. Right? Give us our daily bread. I repent of my sins and I'll, I'll forgive others as well. Right? Uh, keep evil far away from us. And live, let, Lord, let, don't even let me be tempted. That's how you be unstained. So in the Lord's Prayer, you have the, this element here of being unstained. And notice even in that, the Lord's Prayer, um, you when he says, pray directly to the Father, right? Go into your household no, in secret where no one can see you and pray directly to the Father in this way. So the point here is that you're worshiping God through the Holy Spirit, where God is truth. You're worshiping in spirit, in the Holy Spirit, and you're worshiping because the Spirit is truth, you're worshiping in the, and you're operating in that mode. And you're doing so, so that to, to do good works, as, as he says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, right? You're saved for good works. The point is to be unstained is not only for good works, but it's also to stay away from, not to be tempted by sin, to be holy, to be set apart for God's righteous purposes. And so that is the nutshell version of what this is. And I don't even know if I've answered it completely fully. Corey, what do you say? Yeah, so so worshiping God in spirit and truth is in reality, in real reality. Like w- we know that you can do things physically 
without actually meaning it or actually intending it, right? So you can say something, you can lie, you can tell a lie, you can say the right, right. words and actually n- not mean it, right? right? Your intentions there are you not there. You're, so you can say physically the right words that you could be lying. So we can make our physical bodies do things that are not true, right? But when you worship God in spirit and in truth, as opposed to just in the flesh, you can't worship God without also physically worshiping God, right? You live your life physically to worship God. But when you do it in spirit and truth, you're doing it in a very real, cohesive way. The essence of real, right? It's all lining up. It's effectual in the spirit. And what I... um. I like to point to John chapter 6, the gospel of John chapter 6, because something really interesting is going on in John chapter 6, where Jesus does the miracle of feeding the 5,000, and the people rightly associate this miracle with Moses and Elijah, right? They're, they're, they're messianic expectations. They're looking for Moses and Elijah. Moses thinks to Deuteronomy 31, Elijah thinks to uh, Malachi, uh, and I think Malachi 4. And, um, and so their messianic expectations are, are huge. They want to make Jesus their physical king at this point because they're convinced he is the prophet like Moses and, the, and he has the spirit of Elijah. And, um, and Jesus then turns it into this really interesting teaching. He flips it on his head where he, where he says, no, you don't need the bread from heaven like Moses gave you. But it wasn't even Moses who gave it to you, it was God. But you don't need the bread that came through Moses. You need the bread of life. And I am the bread of life. And then he, 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 they, they're confused by that. And Jesus one-ups it and he, or he doubles down on it. And he goes, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have eternal life. And, and, and he loses a lot of disciples because of that. But to clear up confusion, Jesus gives them the key to understanding what he's saying. He gives it a couple times, but the most clear is in John 6, verse 63. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So in other words, when he says the flesh is of no help at all, he's like, I gave you bread to eat, but that's not what is going to give you eternal life. You, you think physical bread, physical food equals life. And that's partially true. It equals physical life. It extends your life, but it doesn't give you spiritual life or eternal life. So he says, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, the life of Christ is going to be effectual in the spiritual world to give you eternal life. So when Jesus says these words are spirit and truth, he's talking about what that means in the greater reality of the spiritual world, not just the physical world. Yes. Right? So when you worship in spirit and truth, you're worshiping in, in, in both realities, right? In, in, in the spiritual world, your intentions and your mind and everything is lined up and you're worshiping God right. according to his Holy Spirit and right. the truth. And it, the important thing there is that it's God working through you for his good pleasure. So it's, it's God, it's the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, working in and through you in proper worship to produce good works, to, to, to stay away from sins, to not yeah. be tempted, and all yeah. those things. So it is a, 
uh, it's a coalescing relationship that's happening there. So when you worship in truth, of course, there is no possible world where truth does not exist. Like truth has to exist in all possible worlds. And that's the whole point that we're getting at. Yeah. Is that like, no matter what, it's like when you're worshiping truth, that's both spiritual and physical. Yeah. You're, 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 you're aligning what you're, what you mean, what you say, you say what you mean. You're aligning your body and you're submitting your body to this, the regulations that Christ has given to us in the spirit. So I think that's, that's great. I think that actually answers the question. I think so too. Yeah, I don't think we need to. All right. I'm going to move on then. First John 5, uh, 13 to 21, viewer question for you, Matlock, from PJ. Uh, PJ says, no one knows the future, so how can we have assurance of salvation? Yeah. And so I would say to this one, just really quick, uh, it's not really based on what we know. So how can you have assurance of salvation? So I think the, the difficulty this person might be having is, Oh, how can you have any type of assurance, any type of knowledge of salvation if no one knows the future? You don't know what's going to happen to you. Like you could just become totally depraved and like the worst person of all time. I'm just going to read 1 John 5, 13, 21. We're just going to hear it out. And then uh, just so we know this, so long as you believe in Christ and you follow him, you will be saved. So long as you do. All right, so 1 John 5, verse 13 and on. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So we have to know something. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that uh, does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. In other words, God's protecting you and giving you time to grow in, in yourself, and your, right? Um, and what's good about this is that there is sin that leads to death. And that we obviously, we shouldn't pray that for anyone. You go, oh, that. What is that sin that leads to death? Idolatry. Idolatry just leads to death. Earlier on, Paul talks about the Antichrist, those who reject Christ rose from the bodily and stuff like that. It's, it's all this idolatrous nonsense. And he says, stay away from idolatry, right? Is what leads to death. It's by making yourself God. It's the great sin that, that Satan fell, right? Anyways. I'll read verse 18 again. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him, who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Hear that? So everyone who says Jesus is the God right there. He is the true God, Jesus Christ. Anyways, I'm going to read verse 20 again. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So we've received understanding because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, indwells you. So that we may know him who is true. So we know him. By experience, like we actually know him because he, he dwells us. That's the point. So it's like you're not alone. You have a deposit. It's not right. You're right. 
You're quenching the Spirit. It's like you know Him because you speak to Him. As He was saying, you can ask Him things. You speak in the Spirit. You speak to God. And we are in Him who is true. So we're in Christ. We're in God. In His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Obviously, as we were just speaking about before. So idolatry leads to death. Um, and the question is then, how do we know for sure? I'm not going to fall into idolatry? Right? So well, I don't know. I, I can't give you absolute certainty that you're not going to fall into idolatry. I don't know how you'd ever want to if you are truly following God and humble yourself. Yeah, I mean, so, it's a redundant question. Right. Go ahead. It's a redundant question. Like, our, our goal is not to worry about sins that we may potentially commit in the future. Our goal is to right now, where I'm at, how do I follow God in my life? And be reading the scripture and applying it to our lives and staying persistent in that, persistent in prayer. And as we focus on those things, on those good things, then, then you know, God continues to write our faith. He's the author right. and the finisher of our faith. That's just the way that it works, you know? I, I mean, if we, if we spend too much time philosophizing about all these different things that we could be doing or might well, be doing, like, yeah. we know, we know, First, first John 5, 11, 12, and 13, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. As long as you are living in Christ and you know putting the putting everything that you have, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're going to be good. You just got to do that. You have to keep persisting in faithfulness towards God. He is faithful. He, uh, you know, there's times that we all stumble and God is faithful to correct us. But as long as we stay with God, you're good. Right. And I think um, like what you were saying earlier about just like not worrying about tomorrow, Christ even says that, right? Don't worry about tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Does, father, does God the Father not feed the crows, right? Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the ravens? I mean, how much more does he love you? Yeah. So, and, and it's this idea of us getting consumed with anxiety yeah. over what could happen. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, we know, like, if God is in you, then you have what you need. Like, you have the deposit, the guarantee for eternal life. The idea is, are you going to reject that? It's like, I don't know why you ever would or even how you could, but that's really what it comes down to. And why would you even toy with this idea? Just reject, you, well, you know reject made, the whole concept. What it made of, me think of, from temptation. what it made me think of was the conclusion of Second Peter right. that the apostle Peter wrote. So that's Second Peter 3 verses 14 to 18. Listen to what he said. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul, beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. 
Amen. Right. So there's a, there, we can get ourselves so involved in issues. And look, theological issues are worth talking about and they are worth looking into. But if we get ourselves so wrapped up into all of these systems of men that we've developed to try to understand who God is and how salvation works and all of these different things, we can get so sidetracked and find ourselves afraid and, and kind of out out feeling alone and feeling like there's no assurance right. of our faith. And what did, what does Peter say? Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Right. All right. So it's this having that stability, getting back to the scriptures. It's okay to talk about big theological ideas and, and debate over the meaning of Paul's writings. Those things are good and can be profitable, but we have to always go back to the scripture, go back to the gospel. What is it that we know? And what are we supposed to be doing with our lives? We're supposed right. to be following God with our lives, with our moral actions, with our intents, with our strengths. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I hear what you're saying. And I think this, to, to kind of end this, this answer, mm -hmm. uh, or this response rather, uh, I think this person might have difficulty because no one knows the future. So how can, I, how can we have assurance of salvation? Maybe even if, you're, if you're coming from a context of losing your salvation, so like every week, let's say you're doing something and then you didn't go to church, oh, I, I've lost, I have committed a mortal sin or I've, I've lost my faith. I mm -hmm. think that might be something where this person might be coming from. Um, and in that case, I would just say, if you're consistently losing your salvation and getting it back, losing it and then getting it back, losing it and then getting it back, mm -hmm. I think it's just the systems that doesn't work. I just don't think that's how it works. So I think that there might be a, a, a flaw in your system, you can say, um, for just constantly, if you're constantly losing your salvation and getting it back, um, that sounds very much like uh, an on and off switch. That sounds like you missed work. Oh, I guess I'm gonna get I get fired. Oh, but I came today. I'm hired. It just I just don't think it works that way. Um. Anyway, so that would be my my two cents on that. That's all we've talked about that in the past. You can watch previous videos on that one. But um, yeah, I just don't think you can just you know lose your salvation perpetually. I think you'd be in a state in which it's possible that if you continue in that trajectory you will lose your salvation. Yeah. But I don't think it's a matter of, you have it and then now you don't. Now you have, you dropped it, well, you, you, you lost it. Da but. Dare I dabble my toes in some of those argumentations over Paul, but when we go to Ephesians yeah. chapter one, right. just, just so they, like, when you're talking about assurance of salvation, take some joy here in Ephesians one. Ephesians one, verse 11 to 14. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right. So when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. He has predestined you to the adoption of sonship, to, to your inheritance right. in eternal life. So... You can't just, you know, get the Holy Spirit and then lose the Holy Spirit and then get the Holy Spirit and yeah. then lose the Holy Spirit. You get, it doesn't work that There's way. There is great right. comfort to be found yes. in, 
in um, teachings like this. I, I agree. Corey, yeah. let's move on. Yes, let's do this. it. Okay. Uh, this relates to Jude 9. It's a Bible question. Okay. Why does Jude quote the assumption of Moses and the book of Enoch? Yeah. None of these books are canonical. Does that mean these books should be? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Here's where I land on that issue. No, I don't think we should be messing with the canon. I don't think that just because Jude quotes from these and 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 um, looks at these and read these and knew these that this should be equal with scripture. Um, I, I think that, you know, Jude was, these were commonly known and commonly read. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with Jude incorporating these ideas and these concepts in in the book, you know, and in his book. It doesn't mean, just because someone quotes from something as containing truth, doesn't mean that that, that should automatically mean that thing is biblical. And, and the early church knew this as well. You know, they didn't include it in the canon for a reason. And so maybe we should respect that. And I think we should. I think we should not maybe. We definitely should respect that. Um, doesn't mean they're not interesting reading. We shouldn't read it. Doesn't mean there's not truth contained within them. Uh, you know, the, the Bible quotes from a lot of things. Paul quotes from pagan philosophers. Doesn't mean he thought that those pagan philosophers or or poets should be canonized in the in the in the Bible, right? Yeah, I just we, have to read is, that first. There is good. There is truth that has been spoken that has not been canonized in the Scripture. For example, we know that the prophet Jonah gave prophecies. We know that a lot of the prophets gave prophecies outside of books of the Bible that were written, okay? And they were never recorded in the Bible. It doesn't mean that the words that they said that weren't recorded in the Bible weren't the word of God. They were. They just weren't supposed to be in the canon of the Bible, which we now call the word of God. Yeah. I hope I'm not getting too... <coughs> no, it's good. Because even I want to. I was going to read the Acts 17 when Paul's at the Areopagus. Yeah. Right? Because what is he? He quotes Epimenides. Epimenides. Yeah. Don't ask me. Some Greek poet, right? <laughs> Anyways, probably Epicurean. Anyways, it goes like this. Uh, he says, in him we live and move and have our being. Okay? He's citing him there. For, for we are indeed his offspring, other poets say. So in other words... He's like, hey, this is something that's true that you have, that you, that, you, that you guys know about, that this is a true element in your beliefs. And everything you guys believe is true, but this part is actually compatible with what God says about himself and everything. So Paul's highlighting something that's true here. It doesn't mean all truth has to be in the Bible. It mm. just doesn't mean that. Like the Bible has a special curated purpose. Yeah. For, right, for, right? So it's like, anyways, I, I just, yeah. It doesn't mean the assumption of Moses, the Book of Enoch, have to be canonical. Now, there's some people in church history, if you read it, thought the Book of Enoch, I think Tertullian thought, thought the Book of Enoch should have been okay. can canonical. That's very few, but far between. But one man's thoughts do not a canon make. The, exactly, so. exactly. So, anyway, <laughs> no big, and I don't think anyone believed the assumption of Moses should be canon. I don't recall anyone saying that. So, either way, the point is, the Apocrypha is actually like really important, significant literature it is. that we should read that's full of wisdom. Um, and then you can use it just as just as Paul's quoting the Greek philosophers, like, look, there's wisdom in these words. Uh, and and they shouldn't truth be confused right. with the scripture. Because I think it would be weird to say that there isn't truth outside the Bible. Because then it would be like... We know that there is. No, I know. But it would be <laughs> weird to think in those terms. God because, is truth and he is outside the Bible. Well, if we want to take it to like that well, extreme. That's, and that's what this points to, right? It's the yeah. whole point. So yeah. but my point is the saying is that like it'd be weird to think in those terms yeah. in general. To be like, well, if it's truth, the truth is just the Bible. Yeah. I, I like because I, 
it's just like how well then how is anyone going to know what's what is true yeah because then everyone's just living in falsehoods and there's no such thing as truth you might as well say the moon's made of swiss cheese and everyone would believe you because if you're like oh well it's possibly true but we don't know because everything's a lie i don't know so to me it just sounds like it, it just doesn't make any sense anyways so I think that's good. All right. I think so, too. I think right, we've discussed it enough. Let's discuss the next question, Matlock, right. which is this. Corey? It's a Bible question. Yes. Go ahead. Revelation 2 to 3. Yeah. We're in the last book of the Bible. We're, yeah. We're in there. We're, we're in there, there now. Just the first right. couple chapters. Matlock, how do you think we should interpret the seven churches in okay. Revelation? <coughs> Excuse me as I just cough and hurt everyone's ear. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm slowly getting there for some reason. I'm really slow. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's probably the cold. Yeah. We are going to attribute the seasonal cold. So to I think that these churches, flipping. like the Church of Ephesus, Smyrna, all these things, I think these are the churches of the time. Right. I, like, a lot of people try to interpret these as like, oh, this represents this church at this point in history. Or they, you know, they try to make them like all re impressions types, or representations, yeah. types of churches types of throughout churches. time. And of course, you could make types out of anything. Like I, I see churches today that, that look like Ephesus. See what I'm saying? It's like, I see those. It doesn't mean that this, John speaking to that church today. The question is, who is John speaking to? I think he's speaking to churches at his time. I don't think he's speaking to churches throughout all of time. Now, can you take the principles of these and apply them to today? Of course. Yeah, they're timeless, right? Uh, the truths that yeah, that course. that are spoken in here really can apply. Yes. I mean, not all of them, but a lot of because some of them are pretty specific. But the principles that you take from the situations and from the criticisms and the blessings that Christ has right. for the different churches is very interesting and instructive to us personally and corporately, even till today. Oh, yeah. So I'm pretty sure, for instance, and I'm sometimes a little foggy if I'm not studying it and it's been a long time since I've, I've read it, but I'm pretty sure Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, was the Bishop of Smyrna. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when he received this letter, he applied it to himself. So that's uh, Revelation 2, uh, verses 8, 17. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna, he's, and, he's, and he writes like a judgment. My point in saying this is that you have a guy in history, he's like, oh, this is for me. He's applying it to himself. So, <laughs> I, so in my head, it's like, okay, you can't really say that these like, represent different things. And I think people go down that route because um, <coughs> today we have people who are teaching, where is that line? That some will be saved from the from the coming judgment. I will spare you. I think it's Church of Philadelphia. I'll, yeah. I'll read it. Um, is that it? It's whole fast that one receives your crown. Maybe it is. Okay. Uh, I, I know your works. This is uh, uh, Revelation 3, verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I've set a door... Uh, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Uh, behold, I make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. They will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about uh, a, uh, patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So people take this today and be like, okay, that's referring to the, you know, everyone today is the Church of Philadelphia. So it's like all Christians believe that we're we're now the Church of Philadelphia, and then we're going to be spared a, a wrath from God, right? But remember that 
John's writing to just the Church of Philadelphia that they that one church is going to be spared. It doesn't mean all Christians fall into the the category of the Church of Philadelphia. So my point here is that this this. But I will yeah, to to be fair though. Yes. People people who hold that position also don't think that they have to be part of the church in Philadelphia. It's that principle because you have kept my word about yes. patient oh, endurance. Yes. Yeah, like keep taking it as a sign. To be fair, they're not saying that they are the church of right. necessarily Philadelphia. Right. Some of them are. I know there is a there is a doctrine that goes into that. Right. But they could just as easily say, well, we're just applying that truth right. to They're being to spared here. from the hour trial, right. So that would right, be which that. There's different things that yeah, we can and talk about there. You know, and the truth be told, everyone goes through trials. Yes. Right? And the world's going to go through trials, and this is the way it is. So, anyways, <laughs> the point to be said here is that um, I think that the churches, to answer the question, are just the churches of the time. And that, like we said before, the same things can, be, can apply to the future or to, to different points in time because the truth will always apply to any point in time. Yeah, I personally think that's the simplest explanation. I yeah. mean, I mean, if you take this at, regardless of who you take the author of this as, I take it as the Apostle John. Some think it's the John yeah. the Elder. That's they separate that from the Apostle John. But regardless, the person would have been familiar with these churches, chose these churches specifically to write to, probably because he knew their context and knew the leaders from from these areas. So this just makes the most sense. It doesn't mean. Like like you were saying that like that these truths cannot apply to Christendom throughout time because I think they do. Yeah. I mean that principle is true of all of the epistles of the Bible, right? Like yeah. if we Corinthians and Ephesians and Philippians, these were written to actual real Christians in right. these places, but they still they contain timeless truths that yes we have to uh, place within the cultural context and the context of the scripture itself to, as to what was going on. But once we do that, we're able to take the actual truth and apply it to our lives. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think totally. So. I think that's good. Corey, let's move to the big question. Big question. <laughs> Is Christmas a pagan holiday? That's the big question. Is Christmas a pagan holiday? Well, what do you think? If you watch Instagram reels or YouTube shorts, or I, I've, I've heard to TikTok as well, but I don't have TikTok. I do not. I do not plan on getting it. It's, it's much far too young. I, I think, yeah. and interesting. But <coughs> if you watch all of those and consume a lot of media, you would think the answer is yes. But my friend, no, no. no. This is a myth that Christmas is pagan. This is totally, totally a myth. It's totally a myth. Yeah. I mean, okay. So you've got like the lie that goes around. Well, a bunch of gods were born on December 25th. Fake. That's totally fake. Go into it. I have done this. I did this when I was, I think, what was I was like 2021. Do you remember? I did yes. a presentation at Open Forum about I remember. Yeah, I went right. into all these pagan gods that they say, you know, Jesus was an, was like they were the archetypes for Jesus and they were born on December 25th. And it's all bogus. That's just not true. Right. That's not why December 25th was chosen for the celebration of Jesus's birth. Now, to be fair, though, when you go back in early church history, no one really knows why December 25th was chosen. There was there was like, I think, two or three different dates that were bouncing around for the, the idea of, like, they were guessing when Christ right. was born. There was two or three proposed dates. Um, and I, one of the theories of why they chose December 25th is because there was a Jewish belief that a prophet would die on the same day that he was conceived. And because Jesus died at Passover, which they reckoned to March 25th, 
he would have been conceived on March 25th. So you back it up, not, you, you go nine months from there and then it's December 25th. So that's one of the guesses right. okay. on why they chose December 25th. Right. Um, then you can go into like, okay, what about, you know, was it, they, a huge one is it's not Christmas, it's Yule. Right. The Christians have just taken over Yule. It should be Yule tree. Yule time. Yeah. <laughs> Yule time. But, <coughs> but apparently a Christian king in Norway made Yule on December 25th to make it associated with Christmas, like to, yeah, to Christianize what, Yule. Th that's what I'm saying. People are completely missing the point here. Yeah. So the point here is that, okay, there's all these pagan holidays going on. So you have two options. You let the pagan holiday do its own thing, right? Or... You, uh, and then you have the Christian holiday do its own thing, or the Christian holiday usurps and takes over the pagan holiday so the pagan holiday doesn't exist anymore. There's no more sacrificing to demons, no more human sacrifices. That all ends on that festival, okay? So the principle is, throughout history, it has been like God moving his stewards and his ambassadors of God throughout the world to take over the world and Christianize the world. Sure, but that's but, not even what but, happened. Like, it's I, no, not I'm even provable saying, that that's what happened. No, 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 not even just Christmas. It's just holidays in sure. general. Yeah. And holidays in general. It's just kind of like Christianity goes places, the world becomes Christian, and then leaders there are like, well, I'd rather make this festival a Christian festival because I don't want to be worshiping, you know, demons anymore and false gods. It's like, okay, fair enough. So that's what keeps happening. And everyone's and then everyone's like, well, we can't stop them from having the festival. They're gonna have people are gonna have festivals. So you're keeping uh the 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 time when people meet the same. It's about it. Then all the meaning and everything else changes. Yes. The spirit behind it changes. I, no and I, I actually evil. have no I have no problem with the concept of of that. Yeah. But with Christmas, you can't prove that that's what happened. No, Except okay, yeah, all fair. the evidence is that it was its own thing. Yeah. I mean, like people try to say that it was um the Roman festival of Saturnalia, but that ended on the 23rd. Like it was from, I think it was, okay. It's like a week long. I think it was from the 17th to the 23rd. That was the Roman festival of Saturnalia. Why then two days later? Like it wasn't usurping that festival. Right. Um, people try to say, what's the other one? The birth of the sun, the Invictus, Sol. Oh, I don't know. Solus Invictus. Soul Invictus, something like that. Guys, I promise something like that. And they say that it, it was on December 25th, but the problem is we don't actually know anything about that whatsoever. And it could just be about the winter solstice, which, you know, December 25th is very close to the winter solstice, right? And, um, and also, okay, also, I'm remembering now, it's clicking in. That Soul Invictus, we learn about that I think it's from a fourth century document where we also learn that Christians are now associating Christ's birth with December 25th. So it's like in the same document. Right. So like it was older. How do you know? How does one know? And it doesn't even talk about I anything like that happened on Soul Invictus. We've seen all Coca-Cola, like all these Coca-Cola commercials. And now we've decided that that's what Christmas is about. Right. Therefore, right. Right. therefore Christmas must be pagan. Right. But, but okay. Because Santa Claus is a lot like Zeus. Uh, not Zeus, sorry. Um, Odin. <laughs> Odin, sorry. yeah. Like the, the Norwegian. The all-seeing eye. Yeah, even Odin has like, what is it? Uh, eight, a, a carriage, like a flying carriage with eight like Does he horses. actually? Yes, very much. I, mean, I haven't looked like, into like Santa the Claus is striking a lot like kind Odin. kind of outside of my purview right. of like the history that I look at. Not right. that I'm not interested. But I'm definitely Saint Nicholas interested. is actually an awesome guy. Yeah, he was Historically, he was a, he was a person, a yeah. real person. We don't, like there's a lot of... Um, apocryphal tales about him. About how he slapped or punched Aries in the face? 
at yeah. the Ecumenical Council. I want that Nicaea. to be true, though. I want that to be true, but I don't know that it is. But I want it to. How do you feel about it, Matt Locke? As you deep breathe. There's breathing, very like, few things I want to believe <laughs> in. Santa I believe it. I'll just believe it. <laughs> is that yeah. why you're wearing yeah. the Santa hat? Because you're like, I'll punch out bad guys. Arius, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's sweet. <laughs> Great reason to punch him in the face, by the way. Okay. Although everyone was devastated. Everyone's like, yo, you got to control yourself. Yeah. Everyone's like, come on. Yeah. Anyways. But <laughs> okay, okay, but okay, wait. Okay, I also want to talk about this whole association with the winter solstice. Sure. Why do we have a problem with this connection with the winter solstice? I think that's actually really cool. If you think of okay, so the winter solstice is the time of year where then all of a sudden after that time the sun is out longer, the days get longer. There's until you it, it like it it builds up towards the summer right. solstice, right, and then back down. And I think that's really cool where you're, you're celebrating the birth of Christ that is leading us to the kingdom of God. Like yeah. longer days and more light and the son of God. And, right. yes, and God is our light. Yeah, so it's I symbolic. It's very symbolic. I yeah. love that. Honestly, also, can I just say, please stop coming for my Christmas tree. Stop coming for my Christmas tree. I love my Christmas tree. There's a lot of people, a lot of Christians who are like, get rid of your Christmas trees. They're pagan symbols well, go, and stop. stuff. Who made the tree? <laughs> like the pagans or god yeah. like yeah. the whole thing is just so silly it's it like is you, silly like things can be taken and glorified for god things that were meant for evil god will repurpose for good all the time okay but let so me I'm make just, an I'm argument just, here the whole, the whole talk is just nonsense let me make an argument here though first yeah. of all trees were not originally evil second of <laughs> all know. second of all second of all yeah from like from historians who have worked on Christmas, and I know things are a little bit nebulous because not everything is recorded very well, but as far as they can track back, they can track Christmas trees back to the 1500s in Germany and France. Um, and I want to say it's for uh, not life trees. Oh man, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting the word. But basically, there uh, it was traditional to have a play about. Par maybe it was paradise trees. It was traditional to have a play that um, incorporated the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve on right. Christmas Eve. And that may be where the Christmas tree came from. There's also the tree that. Of life, right, of course. Yeah. Of and course. you decorate it because you don't know what the fruit is, so you decorate it. Ah. And so we have pine trees because we're up north. <sighs> and God they're evergreen. Forbid, God forbid that well, we're not using palm trees <laughs> that, right, that. <laughs> Have pomegranates on them because that's what we think the the fruit the fruit was. We're being a little snarky. Yeah. No, I. I but I'm tired of getting emails. About. I get so many emails. You guys wouldn't believe I, I'm complaining right now. I get so many emails telling me that I am like worshiping some pagan demon if I have a Christmas tree in my house, and I do. I have a not worship pagan demons. I do have a Christmas tree in my house at Christmas. I like talking to it the would boys be weird. about the symbolism of. Of it being evergreen and about about Jesus being the light on the you know of of the world and then all of us so, being like lights as well and there's lights on the tree and there's the star at the top and I love that and it's fun to teach here, my kids about it. Yes, and here's what I would say would be weird if someone saw the tree and they saw people putting presents and gifts under the tree, and then say people right. started burning incense and candles under the tree, and then because bowing down to the tree and then bowing down to the tree yeah. and then people looking in or be like. Oh my goodness, they're worshiping a tree. Right. Then I would say, okay, you have a point. But despite the fact that even though parents don't bow down, but they get on their knees to help the kids open their presents, and the I presents have are heard for that the, argument, though. and the presents are for the kids. And you see what I'm saying here? It's like despite all the vision, there's candles around because it's a nice atmosphere. Despite what all the visuals may look like, yeah, 
It's just not what the meaning is. That's not the meaning of it. Now, look, Anyways, I will say. It's just, it's just. What I will say for the cranky Christians, because I, 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 I jive with some of the cranky Christians here, where the frustrating thing is when we don't at all celebrate Christ's birth at Christmas when we just like go the whole commercial route. And, oh, I, and right. I do think that's a wasted opportunity. That's actually wrong. I think it's a wasted opportunity. Like we need to teach our kids what about Advent. Oh, we need to keep, teach our kids. I don't even think it's a wasted opportunity. I just think it's flat out wrong. It's called Christmas. Yes. The, the, the mass it, we're getting together for Christ. Yes. But what I mean, what I'm trying to encourage here is for families to build traditions that are centered around Christ and right. are centered around teaching our kids meaningful <laughs> truths about Jesus. Uh, that, I, I am two thumbs up. Two yeah, thumbs up. That's good. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't want to have a Christmas tree, don't have a Christmas tree, but please don't come for my Christmas tree. Yeah. Am I being too silly here? No. It's true. No. <laughs> silly and true. No, if, you, if you don't want anyone to have a Christmas tree, you should go get one and see what happens. <laughs> what do you mean? Maybe, maybe you'll like it. No. <laughs> You just, oh it has to smell like evergreen, and you'll be like, oh, it actually it does smell really nice it when does, you get a yeah. live tree. Have you guys ever got a live tree? It's delicious. I still remember it's such a uh, a, um, a foundational childhood memory is going to a tree farm with my mom and dad, my two brothers, and my nana and papa, right? And just having such a great time finding a good Christmas tree and chopping it down and bringing it back. And we would have breakfast together and it, it was awesome. All the vegans out there. I didn't say Crazy. what I was having for breakfast. Anyways, <laughs> I'm just saying There was tree. bacon. He's I'm sorry. Oh, killing a tree. We're, we're I thought you meant like what we were we eating. Killed, we have a dead tree in our house. How could you kill a tree in his. Well, okay. It was slowly it's like dying. A, it's like a sacrifice. To be I, fair, just, just it was joking. slowly dying. I'm just trying to think about how these people think. Anyways, I think I'm But the good news is, the good news is, is that if you've been, because look, I think, look. I'm holding back. We got to stop. I know, I know. But what I'm trying to say, because we're being really silly and we're being boisterous and loud, but there could be people who have been really troubled by all of these different claims that Christmas is pagan. And that is a troubling thought because as a Christian, you don't want to be exposing yourself or your family to pagan religious practices. And I totally get that. But honestly, when you do a little bit of research in it, it should ease it should ease your mind and bring a lot of comfort and, and freedom in knowing that you can celebrate Christ and the birth of Christ and you don't have to be worried about all of these things because it's just fake. It's not true. Well, what do we learn today? We worship God in spirit and truth. Exactly. Right. Not just physically, but spiritually and in truth. Right. And in truth. All right, guys. Merry Christmas. Uh, leave your comments and questions down below as always. And until next week. Happy reading and studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.